Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about that crazy GameStop story. And then we're joined the rest of the hour by Dave and John Ferguson, authors of Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We made it to Friday. We are to Friday. Hopefully, you've got a good weekend planned ahead of you. And Ian, like I just said, it's Friday. It's always good when we get to the weekend. But how is your Friday going today? <laughs> it's it's going pretty good. I, yeah. you know, my updates are boring, man. My knee still hurts <laughs> from surgery. Oh, yes. I'm yes, trying yes. to avoid stairs at all costs. Um Maybe TMI. We're like potty training mode right now. So that's good luck with that. A real, a real <laughs> hoot. Yeah. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Uh, my wife made a quiche today. It was delicious. It was so good. Well, I'm going to go get another slice. Such a good quiche. Uh, that's so funny. By the way, uh, what, who were we watching? My wife and I were watching. Uh, I had ESPN on in the background this morning and one of their anchor, uh, one of their like, um, guys in studio was wearing uh, like a long cardigan and my wife looks up and goes hey it's like an ian sweater <laughs> oh, that blesses me so much thank you it was you it was good <laughs> and she was she meant it as a compliment but it was really funny she's like oh look it's an ian sweater so oh, i honestly i can't tell you how happy that makes me it's so, <laughs> it's so weird to be like in your 30s and have cardigans be the thing that you're like most known for and i'm uh-huh. like i'm not even mad i'm here for it Yep. So my family and I tonight, I told you off air, we're going uh, ice skating in uh, Ma- Maggie Daly Park down in the city. And uh, I'm so old that all I can think about is, A, how cold I will be and B, how back, how badly will my back hurt tomorrow? So I'm like <laughs> that cranky old guy, but it'll I be fun. It. I'm looking for it. <laughs> Any family time we can get. Well, one of the main stories out there, and Ian and I were trying to discuss it yesterday. And we came to realize, I'm not sure we know what we're talking about. And that's this whole uh, GameStop where guys on Reddit like, they, they started encouraging people to buy stock in GameStop uh, to kind of combat these um, like hedge fund kind of short sales uh, and try to save GameStop. And it kind of blew up uh, like Robin Hood yesterday. They had to shut down people's ability to buy. And it's been this whole debate over who actually runs the stock market. Anyway, all sorts of craziness. I almost said, if you haven't seen it, Google it. I'd be shocked if people haven't seen this yet. Uh, but but as I was watching some stuff and reading some stuff, there was this one interview that started going a little viral yesterday. Uh, it's uh, this guy by the name of Justin. I don't know his last name, but Justin is, uh, he was one of the original guys on Reddit who figured this out and tried to encourage people to go buy GameStop. And he was interviewed on MSNBC and he started preaching. So this is about a minute and 15. Uh, Let's listen to this. Did you ever expect it to be sort of what it is now? Uh, And did you get in in order to you talk about sort of thinking that maybe the company could rise? Was part of it that you wanted to sort of stick it to the Wall Streeters, as we've heard from some others in your position? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a confidence that this was a, a real thesis, that this would go up. But I also, I, I'd be lying to say if it, there wasn't some pleasure out of the fact, you know, I, I'm a pastor and Jesus tells a story about this rich fool who has an overabundant harvest that's more than he can store. And rather than give the excess to those in need, he chooses to, to build bigger and bigger barns to store it for himself. And And God says to him in the end, you know, this very night, your life will be demanded from you and who will get what you've prepared for yourself. And so since 2008, it feels like Wall Street has had an overabundant harvest financed by public money. And rather than share the billions 
with the less fortunate, they've built bigger and bigger barns for themselves. And so, yeah, I was 100 percent. There was a part of me that thought, well, it will be fun to be a part of this moment, to see this moment where at some level overnight, these investors are losing their investing lives. It's being demanded from them. Uh, and they're left wondering what what they get, what who's going to get what they had prepared for themselves. So, Ian, this guy ends up being a high school pastor. He's a youth pastor, I believe, out in California, which tell me that's not the best that a youth pastor is one of the guys at the foundation of this. But what do you think about his reasoning? He started preaching, talking about that parable where Jesus talks about, you know, kind of rich people hoarding and building bigger barns. What do you think about his reasoning behind that? Well, before I even get to the reasoning, I know you all just heard the audio. You should go back and watch the video because there's like this moment where you you can tell they're like, uh oh, this guy. We did not know this guy was a pastor. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> like, so true. Such a, and he's and he's got a look on his face like, I know you don't know, and I'm about to preach. And uh, <laughs> I mean, she literally like lifted her eyebrows when he said, "I'm a pastor." <laughs> I don't know, man. I um, you know, we we often we spend a fair amount of time on this show cautioning against proof texting and cherry picking and you know I, and i can sometimes be that curmudgeon like jeremiah twenty nine eleven doesn't really mean that that's not how we you know it's the what's the mug that everyone's sharing right now i can do all things through a verse taken out of context <laughs> yes um, which I, just, I think is hilarious but i i don't think it's a terrible application to what's happening to be to be perfectly frank i think it feels like that's a lot of kind of the focus energy that that jesus is making here and i think it was at luke 12 and uh, again, obviously, Jesus isn't speaking specifically to modern day markets necessarily, but it it did not. I did not hate it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, first of all, he's a high school pastor. I'm on his Twitter page right now, and uh, his name is actually Justin Speak. Yeah, that's awesome. How, about, how great to be a pastor who talks and speaks and have your last name be Speak. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, whenever I've preached this passage, uh, I've used it more like towards us, you know, about like, hey, be careful where you put your hope. Be careful where you're, you know, these types of stuff. But I actually agree with you. I don't think he's wrong to say, listen, throughout Scripture, not just in this spot, but throughout Scripture, uh, Jesus has a lot of stuff and, and the Old Testament prophets have a lot of things to say about, uh, you know, hoarding riches for yourself, building bigger barns at the expense of other people, especially. Uh, and and there is something, don't you find, uh, I know you well enough to know the answer to this question is yes, but don't you find, and if so, why do you find it uh, kind of inspiring, kind of the little man raising up and has kind of like these hedge fund billionaires really scrambling right now? Isn't it, isn't it the same reason we all love movies like Rudy? Like it's <laughs> right, kind of, it's sort of this underdogs. I mean, I, some of this is probably a little um, echo chambery because I don't. I don't spend a lot of my time hanging out with Wall Street brokers. So, like, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're not thrilled. So, ba- you know, based on sort of my sphere, I guess that would be really interesting. I would love to hear from a like a Christian trader uh, tr- with a D, not with a T, by the way. Now, I was going to say, <laughs> whoa, this is getting serious. <laughs> yeah, someone who completely, yeah, uh, overthrew their government or something. No, like, um. Yeah, like a broker or something, and and yep. hear a counterpoint to this because that I think that would, I, I'm feeling very deficient, I guess, in understanding that part of it. But there, I think you're right. I think it's a re, it's a reason that we're still talking about it for a second or third time. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're right. I think there's there's something to that that just resonates with people. Like, yeah, wait a minute, 
something should be done. This isn't right. Yeah. So I think there's, I think that's a tale as old as time, to be honest. Yep. Yep. And let me, with our last minute, let you be a little pastoral here. Cause some people, you know, you could be listening going, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not a hedge fund manager. Like I got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Uh, maybe speak, maybe use the same story from Jesus parables that he used, but uh, speak when we put our hope in our money, regardless of if you have a lot of money or a little bit of money, speak to those people out there uh, who, for whom that might be a struggle. I think, I mean, I, I feel like I referenced this passage um, way too many times. It's that, was it first Timothy six, right? Where, where Paul is saying to him, like, teach them to be what he's teach them to be generous, rich in good deeds. But then he makes an interesting statement. It's something like, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, but he's like, tell them to not put their hope in wealth because that, that can change so rapidly, but instead to put your hope in the one person, the one thing that, that doesn't change, right. That, that isn't shifting. That isn't, fleeting and then he's he, i just love this phrase he's he said command them to do good to be rich but not in monetary wealth necessarily but in, in good deeds and be generous and willing to share that's how you're going to lay up a firm foundation and then he ends up but ends the verse by saying so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life mm-hmm. this is not the caution isn't reserved just for billionaires we're all tempted to cling to or white knuckle grip stuff that ultimately isn't going to bring us not only right. life and salvation, but even real satisfaction, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I think the caution was true 2000 years ago as it is today. Like, regardless of where you are on that ladder, like it is still a good reminder that, man, all of all of this stuff is fleeting. And to be to take hold of the thing that matters most is actually the way that is truly life. And I think that's that's always a convicting word to me. That is convicting. And so if you want to see the video clip, you can see it at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next and for the rest of the hour, we are going to be joined by Dave and John Ferguson, authors of a new book called Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. The Ferguson brothers are coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us. And we are thrilled to be joined, not for one or two, but three segments for the rest of the hour uh, by two guests that we are excited to have with us, Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson. Uh, Dave is the lead pastor of Community Christian Church. John, a co-founding pastor and lead teaching pastor of Community Christian Church. But the reason we have them on today is to talk about their new book, uh, called Bless Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. So Dave and John, thanks so much for doing this, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks a lot, Brian. It's, it's uh, great to be with you guys. It is our pleasure. What the, what the way we usually like to start with guests is just to let them introduce themselves so our audience can get to know you guys a little bit. So, John, why don't you go first, introduce yourself to our audience however you'd like. Sure thing, uh, Brian. Ian, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, yeah, you know, um, just to, by way of introduction, uh, first name's John, last name's Ferguson. <laughs> I am the uh, younger, just a little bit taller, slightly better looking of the Ferguson brothers. Just to kind of, but, 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 you know, besides that, no, you know, uh, Dave and I have been together. We started Community Christian Church uh, in Chicago um, quite a few years ago, and uh, it's it's been a great ride. Uh, you know, we uh, have about 10 or 11 locations locally in Chicagoland. Uh, we start started a, a church planning network called New Thing that has, mm-hmm. Dave, I don't know how many locations are there of New Thing now uh, globally. 
Uh, it's nine billion. Uh, <laughs> I think the last dashboard actually said six thousand plus. Wow. wow, wow, that's awesome. So it's, I mean, it's you know, it's just been incredible grace of God that we've had the opportunities that we've had. And uh, currently, I live uh, on the north side of Chicago in Lincoln Park. Uh, we moved down here a number of years ago to help start new locations of community and come alongside some of the good work that God is doing through other churches and to help plant churches in the city. And uh, you know, just been been a lot of fun doing that. And uh, recently, had the opportunity to to write this book with Dave called "Bless Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World." Married my wife Lisa. I've got two adult children. They both uh, happen to live in the Lower East Side of New York right now, uh, wow. sharing an apartment and learning uh, what it's like to live with each other. So that's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dave, this is uh, your second straight Friday on, so we'll make this a regular appearance. But uh, for those who didn't hear last week, why don't you introduce yourself as well? Yeah, I uh, am the uh, way shorter, uglier, <laughs> uglier of the two brothers. Yeah. And in addition to that, yeah, I'm, I, I, my role at that Community Christian, I'm the lead pastor. I'm the lead visionary for our Church Plan Network new thing. Um, I'm the president of Exponential Conference, then get to write some books uh, mm-hmm. on the side. And we're excited about the one we're going to talk about today. So, so what people may not actually realize about the book bless is that this is actually a practice that the two of you developed with like eight or nine years ago. And, and as someone who's been on staff at community for the last five years, I've seen firsthand, not only the way that we teach it, but the way that we implement it. I would love to know how did this begin in the first place before it ever was like a, a book or like stuff that we hung on the walls of the church. Dave, we'll start with you and then we'll go to John. How, how did bless kind of come to be in the first place? Um, I won't go way, way back, but I mean, you, and, and part of the vision for community was not really so much as just a local church, but how could we be, think about church as a movement, like you see in Acts 1, 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right. And when you think about movement, there's kind of two components. There's the multiplying of brand new churches, but then there's also the other part of it is how do you get every person in those churches engaged in the mission? And we had gone to multiple sites and we'd started a lot of new churches, but we didn't feel like that second part. We had every person at community really fully engaged in the mission. Hmm. And so we really began to explore that. How do we get everybody to a place where they're really um, on mission? And John could probably speak to this too, but there, there were a bunch of different things we tried. We, we had this idea of, a, there was a couple, I think originally we had like two or three questions you'd ask yourself every day, which was really dumb and totally didn't work. <laughs> um, but the, one of the things that ended up being kind of smart was we only did it with the staff to start with. Let's look kind of like experiment and pilot. Hmm. And the more we get into play with this, um, and we can kind of get into some of this too, but I mean, it was through both some research, um, also looking at the gospels that we came across, you know, these consistent practices we were able to put into this uh, acrostic bless and it really got traction. And it the great thing about it, it kind of made sense based in some of the contemporary research, what people are looking for in building relationships around spiritual things. But it also was consistent with what we saw in the life of Jesus. So mm-hmm. um, after a few failed attempts, we started doing this. It was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago. Wow. John, is there anything you would add to the, the origin story of Bless? No, you know, he did pretty well with that, actually. But um, I, I think it, I think it really was a frustration. Uh, I mean, our people at Community, our, our mission for as long as we can remember, has been helping people find their way back to God. 
yeah. uh, based on the story of the prodigal son, you know. And uh, so what we've discovered was that people knew the mission. They could recite it. I mean, you show up uh, at one of our locations and you're going to see it on the wall. You're going to see it in print. It's on the website. Right. right. But we wanted it to go beyond that. We wanted people to actually, you know, live it out. And what we found is they really wanted to like like they wanted their friends and neighbors to to know and follow Jesus and experience the life change that they'd experienced, but they just honestly did not know how. Yeah. And uh, even ourselves, as we look back on our own lives, I think we experienced a lot of frustration too, personally, uh, wanting to do that ourselves. And, and oftentimes when we try, it would be awkward or weird or just not feel right, almost like a bad sales pitch. And so, <laughs> uh, like they said, you know, we, we came across these practices that, uh, that we saw in the life of Christ. And then we recognize this whole idea of being a blessing really goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God said, Hey, I'm going to bless you. And then through you, I'm going to bless, you know, the entire world. And right. this notion that, yeah, we are blessed as, as followers of Jesus, we're blessed, but you know, we're not blessed so that we can kind of sit back and enjoy it and go, look how blessed I am. No, mm-hmm. we're blessed to be a blessing. And so we felt like that combined with just the notion of what Jesus did and then this whole idea that Jesus was simply a good friend. He was known as a friend to sinners, made this more natural, I think, kind of life-giving approach for sharing the good news of Jesus to people Come, kind of brought it to life. Hmm. Yeah. And, and John, I, I want to touch on something you just brought up. And that's Ian and I have talked multiple times how we were raised in churches where like literally go out with a clipboard and kind of, you know, it was a sales pitch. Like, how do I share Jesus with people? Um, what do you think is the damage for those of us who have learned evangelism that way? What do you think the effect of when we see evangelism just as a sales pitch to try to win people? Hmm. I think it's a great question. And uh, it's funny. I heard one a woman say that she was raised to be a super converter. <laughs> you know, like, you, like you put on the cape and all of a sudden you know how to do this. But I don't know, Dave, maybe you want to share quickly just uh, maybe a story from college even of how that didn't work. Yeah, I'd Dave, love to hear that yeah, story. How about Dave shares a very embarrassing human? <laughs> Thank you for that segue, John. Okay, truth, truth be told. Yeah, you talked about, you know, kind of being trained and stuff. So like when I'm in college, I actually started this club Gosh, this is so weird. <laughs> called the Soul Winners Club. <laughs> and I guilt tripped like every person that went to the school and all the faculty members except one. There was one holdout. And I mean, I had them going like door to door or doing street evangelism, basically kind of cold turkey, hammering somebody with the gospel, whether they wanted to hear it or not. Right. And I think everybody was well intentioned. I certainly yeah. was. But I mean, yeah, I think the collateral damage we did there was terrific, terrifically mm-hmm. bad, and uh, and and I think we I think that was one of the things that really pushed us towards these blessed practices. I'm going, okay, I'm sure some point we're supposed to share a verbal witness, but it certainly shouldn't be just cold turkey to complete strangers. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and all I, this came from a really good place. Right. And I blind, and I blindly followed Dave as a freshman when he was a junior in the Soul Winners Club. But <laughs> again, it came from a good place. But man, the way it played out did not make for a good yeah. <laughs> attempt at all. Right. Yeah. I, I've often shared at, at our church that, that that kind of training was the biggest thing that made me stop talking about Jesus to people. <laughs> and that was yeah. uh, that was basically it. Well, we're thrilled to be joined by Dave and John Ferguson, authors of Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And Bless is, is an acronym 
each letter obviously meaning something. And the B is begin with prayer to discover your personal mission. Why is it so important as we think about ways to love our neighbor and share Jesus with our neighbors? Why is it so important to begin with prayer? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, as, as we, we kind of began to put these together and, and truthfully looked back at the life of Jesus, over and over again, we began to see a pattern uh, emerge where he went about blessing the people that he came across every day. It, it's remarkable as you begin to look at his life, how often that comes up. I mean, one of his most famous teachings, right, uh, includes, uh, you know, what does it look like to, to, be, uh, to be blessed? And it's in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are and then it follows with all these statements. And it says in other places that he blessed the children. Over and over again, we see that. But wh- why begin with prayer? Well, honestly, because that seems to be what Jesus did. And, you know, in Luke chapter 6, we read uh, before he even started his earthly ministry, he went out on a mountain and he prayed. Um, over and over again, we see Jesus you know, retreating to, to pray. And so we often say, you know, if, if you're not sure um, who God is calling you to bless, who, who he wants you to reach out with the love of Jesus, then like Jesus, you could begin with prayer. And, and so prayer, in essence, is really how you can discover your mission, but it's also how you can live it out. And mm-hmm. so if you already know the people you want to bless, then begin praying for those people now. And, mm-hmm. and I always feel like it's important to say, yeah, prayer actually counts. as we, go to <laughs> right. yes. you know, we kind of think like, well, it's an afterthought or it's something you do before it. But no, mm-hmm. this is actually part of what it means um, to love people the way Jesus loved people is to pray. And if you're not sure how to pray, I always say, mm. you know, start praying for them in the way you'd want somebody else to pray for you. It's like yes, the golden good. rule of prayer, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that's why it starts with uh, with prayer, begin with prayer. Dave, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, you were sharing at a staff meeting and it was it was a study where it was, it was comparing the results of uh, like a conversion style approach to evangelism and a blessed style version. And I just found that so fascinating because, you know, I know a lot of, hardcore evangelists they like self-identified and they would say the bla- blessing is that's too passive that doesn't that doesn't get the results of like just <laughs> going into the marketplace with a clipboard and you know cold turkey stalking people cornering them somewhere and asking them about heaven or hell and and the findings that you were sharing were mm. i thought like revolutionary could you share a little bit more of sort of that side-by-side conversion approach and strategy versus sort of this blessed strategy yeah um kind of like you're hinting at there, Ian. I mean, one of the things is we kind of begin to look at these and even begin to develop the blessed practice. I think in the back of my head anyway, at least was like, okay, this would be, a, to be honest with us, keeping it real, this would be a great sermon series. Hmm. <laughs> you know, would this really work in real life um, to help people find their way back to God, help people find and follow Jesus. So I, and I, I still to this day don't do not know why it got sent to me, but a, but a guy sent me his di- doctoral dissertation, and buried in this doctoral dissertation was a study, and part of the study was actually called blessers versus converters. Wow! And um, these there was there was two teams of missionaries they sent to Thailand in this study, and uh, one went simply with the idea of converting people. Um, and so they were going to go there to, you know, save souls. Right. And then the second group went as the blesser group. And they really said the only reason, our only intention is just to be a blessing to the people that God puts us in proximity to. Hmm. They followed these two teams of missionaries over the course of two years. And what they found were two different things. When it came to the, the converters, uh, there was actually really no difference in the community. They didn't really make any difference, no change in, in social capital, you might call it. And at the end of the two years, they saw two people who actually converted and became followers of Jesus. 
But then with the blessers, with the blessers, there was actually some measurable social capital, how they actually made a real difference in this place where they lived in regards to the community, that experience. But then secondly, and this is the surprising part, over the course of those two years, I actually saw 100 people <laughs> come to faith and say yes to Jesus. And wow. when I read that, I was able to kind of do a little homework on that. I was going like, wow. So it kind of was like, and for me, I guess it just it was kind of like the the, the, the last kind of straw where I was going like, no, this actually works. And then right. we began to try it ourselves and try to live it out. And no, it, it given time and building relationships like this, it is a great investment in your community, but it also is a way to help people find and follow Jesus. Yeah. 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 Uh, and John, I, I as I think about kind of my own neighborhood here or my neighbors who live close to me here, uh, a lot of times people don't know their neighbors at all. And so this might sound like a really basic question, but could you give uh, one or two very practical steps for somebody listening, being like, I've lived in my house for 10 years and I've never talked to my neighbors. Right. Is it as simple as just going and knocking on a door and saying hello? What have you found has worked to be able to connect with your neighbors? Yeah, yeah great question, uh, Brian. And I, and, and I think we all had that sort of hesitation uh, I can give you a couple examples recently that were, were super simple. Uh, my wife and I, we, we, we begin with prayer. And so we have a, a list of folks that we're asking God to help us have opportunities to actually bless them, to live out these practices. And Dave will tell you that, you know, in his journal every day, he writes the word bless. And then he has a list of people that he's asking God to help him bless. Hmm. Well, some of those people are people that live nearby me. And uh, one of them is uh, our next door neighbors. We live in a, an apartment building here in uh, on the north side. And we found out that uh, she was having uh, knee surgery. She's the mom of a, of a five-year-old and her husband works. And so, uh, you know, we just went over to Target. It's like two blocks away, put together a little care package and just dropped it off at their door and just said, hey, you know, we were thinking about you, knew you had surgery and, uh, you know, hope this is just a, a little bit of an encouragement to you. Hmm. No gospel presentation, you know, no no two diagnostic questions, no, no spiritual laws, just, hey, you know what, something kind that we can do that hopefully – um, says something to them about the fact that we genuinely care about them. And at some point, you know, if it gives us a chance to uh, take it to another level, you know, that would be awesome. If not, mm -hmm. then, you know, we still feel like we did what God wants us to do. A another example, I was at the bakery just the other day and uh, was going to get a loaf of bread. They had an extra one of the same kind and something, you know, as I'm praying, I kind of felt prompted by, by the extra loaf and, you know, bless somebody with it. So it was like $5, not that much. So I went across the street. One of our neighbors works for the Red Cross. And they just said, hey, you know, my wife was telling me the other day you work for the Red Cross. And I know you're super busy lately and just want to say thank you for what you're doing to make our world better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something like that, I said. And, and, <laughs> and gave them the loaf of bread. And again, you know, it, so it's a combination of all these practices. And, and those two examples probably would um, in some ways fit under like uh, what we would say is the, the first S in bless in the acrostic. But yeah, I think it's just real tangible, practical ways. It's, it's really not super tricky, but you got to be intentional about it. Yeah, for sure. We, and we'll ask you this in the, the next segment. I want to talk a little bit about how COVID has affected this whole strategy and this way of seeing the world. But, but Dave, one of the things that I've personally found and been blessed by is the realization that you know, so often we hear these things and, and it can be easy to think, oh, this is like one more thing I have to like implement into my life. I'm already really busy. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. But you find that in turn that when you live these things out, you actually end up getting blessed in the process. Like, do you find that to be true? And if so, why, why do you think that is? Yes. Yes. It, this is just, it's a better way of living your right. life. Right. And, and the thing of it is, it, let me, I want to say one thing about what John said and then kind of comment. I think one of the things that's an underlying principle here 
and, and maybe this will be for for those in your audience that that are followers of Jesus that I think we need to get get into our heads is it's our job to love people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert them. Yes. Hmm. And not that I and and I actually have kind of a gift of evangelism, so I really like to see people. And you know this, even mm-hmm. you know, Ian, um, I want to see people come to find and follow Jesus, and I'm very passionate about that. But I also know that's not my job. My job is to love them and bless them, and then let the Holy Spirit. So when John said, "And that's all I did," I didn't, you know, do this. I think we have to get that as a part of it. And I think actually, mm-hmm. when you have that realization that it's my job to let the Holy Spirit use me to love people. And given the opportunity, you know, then it is a better way because all these practices, whether it's praying for people, listening to people, eating with your neighbors, then find out what they need and serving them and then maybe sharing stories back and forth. It's just a better way of doing life. Yeah. In some ways, I joke about it, too. I think it's it's almost like a remedial course in how to be friends with people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're thrilled to be joined by Dave and John Ferguson, authors of Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Now, if you uh, want to pick up this book, and I cannot encourage you enough to do so, uh, go to bless-book.org. That's bless-book.org. You can find that up at our Facebook page as well. Uh, go get a book. And uh, if you're a pastor, I can encourage you to uh, use this with your church and and go down that road. And Dave, I want to start there as well. You said this is stuff you guys have done at Community. Uh, I, I hear of other churches going through it. As churches embrace this, maybe from your own uh, experience, what becomes the reputation of a church that you think uh, lives this out kind of uh, church-wide? I, I think I think the reputation becomes this is a church that exists on behalf of the community. Mm-hmm, right. So instead of it being a church that kind of exists on behalf of itself, that's a church that really exists on behalf of the community. And you really you get a reputation for you know hospitality, your reputation for love, a reputation for serving. Um, the three things you know the, the things I should say that kind of correspond to these practices. Mm-hmm. So John, one of the things that I appreciate about I think the way that both you and Dave think is. How do we make complex realities and strategies like really memorable? Like I think of like the three C's of community Christian church, you know, celebrate, connect, contribute, bless. If I, I don't want to brag, but I, I know it. It's uh, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then story, share your story once you've done those other things. But I think most people listening, it'll be obvious like, yeah, some of those look very different in a COVID reality, in a pandemic reality. How, how has this last year sort of affected the way that you see and implement bless in your own life? Yeah, great, great question, Ian. And if I could kind of take off from where Dave left and then address your question too. Uh, one of the practices, the, you know, begin with for the second one is listen. And I think, uh, you know, you want to know what the reputation of a church becomes when they practice these. Imagine if Christians and churches began to be known more for listening than talking. Yes, because certainly I think in this era of COVID or the you know the political climate that we're in or, or whatever it might be, that's not the reputation of Christians. I don't think right now it's more about us talking than listening. And I mean, again, you go back to the life of Jesus over and over again. I mean, he listened, listened to people and asked questions. Uh, somewhere I saw that uh, of the 183 different questions Jesus was asked, he answered only a handful. Most of the time, what did he do? He would respond with even. Um, more questions. And so, you know, true listening, I think, is maybe the kindest and most loving gift you can give somebody. Listen to people's 
uh, dreams, their hurts, their, their, their concerns, their, their heartaches, right? And, and even like you said, during a pandemic, I mean, as long as you keep your distance, you know, you can still talk to people when you're out and about, right? Right, right. If you're not comfortable leaving your home, then, I mean, you know, there's FaceTime, there's Zoom, or maybe a, maybe a phone call. Remember those? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, I think even in the pandemic, I mean, there's plenty of opportunity for us to listen. And I would, I would go so far as to say that during a crisis like this, more than ever, uh, people need to be heard. They need someone mm-hmm. To genuinely listen to them, and and that could open up the door for them to finally come to know and follow Jesus. And, and wouldn't that just be amazing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Dave, when I look at the acronym, E always stands out to me: eating with others. Uh, and some people might read this and go, "That why do I need to eat with them? What's the power of sharing a meal?" Talk to us a little bit about that one: the eat with others to build a relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's around meals that relationships really flourished. Brian, you're married, right? I am. Yes. And think back in the day. What's your wife's name? Carrie. Carrie. Okay. I'm, I don't know the story, but I'm guessing. I'm guessing some point early on, you said to Carrie, you're going like, hey, you want to have lunch? Would you uh-huh. like to have dinner with me? And if it was not, if it was at all similar to how Sue and I met, I remember, I remember the first dinner we had together and it did. It took our relationship to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Brian? That's right. That's right. Although you will be glad my first date with my wife was to a White Sox game. I know that you'll be glad to know that. But yes. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. And there was a- <laughs> but it was, yes, the first time we went to a meal in college, absolutely. It was a big day. A big day. It was White Sox thing. Because it was a very inexpensive ticket. That's why you <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, at least nobody's a Tigers fan. Oh, <laughs> Guilty. Guilty as charged. <laughs> but anyway, back to the eating thing. Yes. Yeah. I, what we found over and over again is it is how you take relationship to a whole new level. And and the, here's again the thing I love about the, the blessed practices. This is not something you have to add to your life. Right. It's something you just integrate into the already existing flow of your life. And mm-hmm. so it, you eat three times a day, seven days a week. So here's 21 opportunities, not to mention stops at Starbucks or dessert. I mean, those are all different opportunities. That's right. If you just include neighbors, friends, the people you're praying for, you're listening to, um, to build relationships. And maybe you get the opportunity to introduce them uh, to the love of God and to Jesus. Awesome. Well, and, and just to say it out loud, too, like I, I feel so grateful to have kind of gotten a front row seat to see not only the way that two of you actually both live this out in your life, but the way that our church has, like it's, it's expanded my vision of this. I didn't realize so many other churches have taken this acronym and they've created their own kind of design and their own sermon series. Like it's, it's, it's way further reaching than I, I realize. And I so appreciate that the two of you are actually doing these things and you're vulnerable about times when it like, yeah, that, that didn't go very well. It's not always <laughs> up and to the right. And John, I, I would love to hear kind of from your own story. Like, what would you say to the person who's maybe hearing all of this and they're thinking, that seems too good to be true? Like, it can't actually really be that easy to, to pray, listen, eat, serve one another and share your story. Like, what do you say to the person who right now is like, ah, I'm, I'm still skeptical of the whole thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I go back to what Dave said earlier that, you know, our role really is to love people. Uh, love people in the name of Jesus and to let the Holy Spirit uh, do the rest. I think we've convinced ourselves that it's our job to, you know, convince, conjole or convert. But at the end of the day, really, I think it, it's, you know, Jesus, um, this was not only how he was on mission, this was how he lived. 
And I think, you know, if we're living this way, then we're going to be on mission every single day, day in and day out. And I mean, how awesome would that be if, you know, people wake up and before their feet hit the floor, they're already praying, okay, Lord, help me know how I can bless someone today. Mm-hmm. And immediately from the moment you wake up, you're on, you're on mission. So, and you know, it, I think it's just a great way to remember how to do that. Yeah. And it, it, no, it doesn't mean instantly everyone's always, all of a sudden going to follow Jesus. I, I can think of a, a guy that lives about a, you know, a few blocks from me here. I've been trying to pray for him and bless in one way or another, almost ever since we moved here, the better mm-hmm. part of 10 years, wow. has he really committed his life to Jesus or chose to follow him yet or given me the opportunity to even tell my story? Not a little bit here and there, but yeah. you know, not a lot. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Do I regret blessing him? No. And I'm still praying that at some point um, he'll see that, uh, you know, that Jesus is behind all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Dave, with the last minute we have left here too, uh, I remember when I was uh, especially younger, I grew up in the church, have always been in the church. And that concept of story, I used to always go, man, I wish I had a story. And there might be people out there right now going, yeah, I don't have a story to tell. Uh, could you speak to that person maybe who's been a Christian their whole life and seems to wrongly believe I don't have a story that would mm-hmm. that would wow somebody? I don't have a story to tell. Yeah. And, and sometimes it, it's not so much having a, a wow of a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the other person's story. I'm, I'm thinking of my friend, Michael who um, uh, who I did get a chance to pray, listen. We, we had breakfast together consistently, and he revealed to me at, at, at breakfast at one of the local restaurants here a, like a 20-year-old kind of dark secret that he was struggling through. Mm-hmm. And that became the moment where, it was, where I was able to simply share with him, no, you know what, here's where you can find for, forgiveness for this. And here's how also you can find redemption, how God can take the worst stuff in your past and use it for great good. And so it was really almost more of his story, mm-hmm. a little bit of mine, that really actually I got to see him come to know Jesus and even got a chance to baptize him. Wow. So, um, it's not always just how powerful your story is, but it's right. really kind of where your story it sometimes often intersects with the other person's story. That's Absolutely. Good. Let me get uh, have all of you go to bless-book.org. That's bless-book.org. You can pick up the book Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Authors Dave and John Ferguson. Dave and John, this was a great pleasure of ours. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thanks, Thank guys. You. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for asking us. Absolutely, absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Congressman Adam Kinzinger and then vaccinations and reopening churches. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us. Well, Ian, we're past the inauguration now. Feels like things have kind of settled in, but man, every day comes new stuff. Uh, and at the Atlantic, there's a very interesting article about a representative who rep, who is a representative out of Illinois, uh, who's, uh, beginning to get a lot of notoriety these days, really because, uh, he is voting for impeachment. Uh, he's kind of calling out his party. Uh, and his name is Representative Adam Kinzinger. Uh, and, uh, Adam Kinzinger, uh, was the part, was a feature of an article written by Emma Green. 
at the Atlantic just today, and it's entitled this, Betraying Your Church and Your Party, How Representative Adam Kinzinger, an Evangelical Republican, decided to vote for impeachment and start calling out his church. So a uh, little inside baseball, both Dan Ehrman, who works at the station, uh, he sent this article to us and he didn't know you had already sent this article to me. So when articles are mm-hmm. flying around like that, you're like, let's talk about this. So why don't you get us into this? It's a long article, but why don't you yeah. get us into it? Let me just read how it begins. It says the letter writer's message was clear. Representative Adam Kinzinger is doing the devil's work and he is possessed by demons. How's that for a start, by the way? Uh, it's not hard to guess why Kinzinger would receive such a note. He was one of 10 Republican members of Congress who defied their party and voted to impeach President Donald Trump for citing the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Kinzinger knew most Republicans in his solidly conservative district would not agree with him, but the choice was easy. As someone who identifies as a born-again Christian, he believes he has to tell the truth. What has been painful, though, is seeing how many people who share his faith have chosen to support Trump at all costs, fervently declaring that the election was stolen. The person who sent that letter by registered mail to be extra sure he got it was a member of Kingsinger's own family. Quote, the <gasps> devil's ultimate trick for Christianity is embarrassing the church. He told me uh, is that that's what the letter told me and a small group of other reporters this week. And I feel it's been successful. Uh, you had mentioned it's a long it's a long article. We won't be able to get to all of it. But what what do you think of that premise? Because it's certainly one that I've heard a lot that, I mean, even honestly, sometimes, to be totally candid, criticisms of our show. Like, mm-hmm. why would you speak out about the moral failing of another pastor? Like, you're contributing to the embarrassment of the church. And if this person's right, the devil's ultimate trick for Christianity is embarrassing the church. Um, do you think there's some truth to that? Or how do you respond to a posture like that i think if the goal is if, if like the primary goal is to embarrass the church then there might be a point to that but what's more embarrassing to the truth is uh is deceit and lying or uh unrepentant sin or hypocrisy like those are the real true embarrassments to the church not if somebody gets found out and and that line at the beginning about uh, how exactly did it go that the role he says his choice was easy as someone who identifies as a Christian, he believes he has to tell the truth. Uh, now, there's discussions about how to best tell the truth. What are the venues? Not if you tell the truth. And so I do find it interesting that the uh, that the person who wrote that to him was saying it, it to tell the truth was embarrassing the church. And and I think that right there is a huge spotlight to what get churches in, in trouble and what gets churches in trouble. He goes on to say in the next paragraph, the Lord has been speaking to him about his role as a Christian in politics, he said, and how he can reach people who are thinking about their eternal life. He has concluded that his faith and his party have been poisoned by the same conspiracy theories and lies culminating in the falsehood that the election was stolen. He said, when you look at the reputation of Christians today versus five years ago, I feel very comfortable saying it's a lot worse. Boy, I think we have lost a lot of moral authority. That's really difficult to read, but I think people know you and I well enough to know that I think both of us would sign on to that and say he's right. Again, part of what's so tricky here, and I wish I had it handy. So my my friend Chris Lash, who has been on the show before, he's mm-hmm. been writing pretty extensively lately about conspiracy theories in particular uh, in a very, like I think, winsome, balanced, but convicting way. I've been super grateful for that. But I think part of what is sort of the elephant of the room, maybe it's the room itself at this point, to be honest, is <laughs> well I don't think anyone knowingly keeps holding on to things they know are lies. That's right. That's, you know, so it can become kind of a straw man 
honestly, when talking heads like me and you were like, yeah, we're people of truth. And if you're not for that, you're dumb. You're wrong. Right. Like, well, that's you know, the person that we disagree with doesn't think that what they're holding on to is lies. And they're consciously they're cognizant of like opposing some kind of truth. It's that everyone thinks that they have some version of the truth, which is what makes conspiracy theories so dangerous, but also so alluring. They tap into this like base instinct like. I have always wondered about that. You know what? That theory does make sense to me. And it's, it can be a really, really enticing rabbit trail. And I think part of what I guess I wish we had time to read more of it because Mm -hmm. as someone who's a Christian in politics, who repeatedly throughout this article makes mention of like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I I know my place kind of in that, in that regard, but I still am. He's finding a real conflict of these worlds colliding a bit. And I, I, I appreciate that struggle to be honest. Yeah. And so with the time we have left, what do you think? And we've talked about this before, but what's the way forward? Because I do think you're right. And you've always done a good job at saying, you know what? Like people aren't cho- aren't choosing to believe a lie that that there's just a dispute about what's true and what's not. So as pastors, as Christ followers or Kinzinger here as a representative who's a Christian wrestling with what does that mean? Uh, what's the way forward now that the election is over and Biden is inaugurated? How do we start to bring healing and, um, yeah, some healing into the church where there feels like there has been fracturing over the last year or so? Gosh, that's the million dollar question, man. Mm-hmm. One, nah, I don't even know if this is one. I don't know where it necessarily needs to start. I do know that in my own life that if I'm if I'm never willing to criticize my own party tribe denomination or position that should give me pause like if my immediate response anytime anyone tries to pull back any curtain on anything that like identifies me as me if my instinct always is like fight back and i'm that should at the very least give me an indication like hmm, i might be holding allegiances too tightly to this belief or this idea or that you know like that's we have to be able to learn together. It was what we were talking about a couple of days ago, rather than sort of a battle of the messages. What if they were learning conversations? What if it doesn't a conversation doesn't necessarily have to move the needle for me and my conviction at all? But like, what would it look like to go into these conversations with the posture of like, oh, I might learn something here. There's is it possible that I don't know everything about this or any topic yeah. ever? Yeah. Uh, and I think without that, I kind of I think I mentioned this yesterday, too, but I've just been really wrestling with that. That prayer, David, that says, search me, O Lord. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. and not, don't just search me, like know my heart, my anxious thoughts. Who doesn't have anxious thoughts right now? Cleanse me, right? And so this is like a, this is a, a purifying type of prayer. But then he says, lead me in the way everlasting. I just, we got to keep making that our prayer, like inviting God to like clean shop over and over and over again, but don't leave us there. Like keep leading us in the direction that is the direction of truth and life and healing and restoration. And we just, I think we got to be intentional about that. And if we're kind of hunkered down in our echo chambers of confirmation biases, we're, we're never going to get there. Yeah, he goes on to say, and I'll close with this, because you and I have also talked about just the danger of seeing the other political party as enemies and evil. Yeah, right. He said, uh, but it bothered Kinzinger that many Republicans viewed their political opponents as evil enemies rather than people who might even share their faith. This is what he was quoted as saying. We get wrapped up in thinking that every little political victory that we do uh, that has an impact on an election is actually fighting for God and the truth. And so he's getting at what we've been talking about. Like, hey, we've mm-hmm. got to get beyond seeing this as a good versus evil, uh, but instead get back to, you know, we're Americans on the same team. Let's have these discussions. Let's work these out, especially within the church. So this is at right. the Atlantic, really well written piece. 
uh, by Emma Green. Uh, by the way, wasn't Emma Green? That was the name of the baby on uh, Friends. Wow, that was old school right there. Uh, that is from the Atlantic. No you can find it up on our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next from Christianity Today, title this, where two or more are vaccinated, advice for churches in 2021. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, happy Friday. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. If you've been around this show for any amount of time, you know that both Ian and I are pastors. Uh, and uh, Ian is at Community Christian Church in Naperville, and I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Uh, and as pastors, this has been quite the year, like it's been for everybody, uh-huh. uh, trying to navigate not just for our families and ourselves, but how do you, how does one lead a church uh, and navigate a church? Everything from uh, just the day to days to what do you do on Sunday morning? When do you meet again? And everybody wanting to know those questions in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, and as you and I, Ian, have been very honest throughout the way, it's like, I don't really know. We're all kind of figuring this out as we go. We know none of us took pandemic uh, classes in uh, in uh, school. So, uh, but as you read things and as we all kind of process, I found this article to be really interesting. It just came out yesterday at Christianity Today, written by Daniel Chin. Uh, it says, where two or more are vaccinated, advice for churches in 2021. Five science-based suggestions to gather and worship safely as COVID-19 vaccines roll out. So there's a lot to this article, and we'll get to the five. But Ian, I guess from a personal side, uh, my church has been open limitedly. Yours has not been open and in terms of Sunday morning gatherings altogether. Do you feel like people are still arguing about this, or, or do you sense that people just understand, okay, this is what we're going to do, and have kind of moved on? What's, what, uh, what are you feeling out there? <laughs> Are you are you asking me if I think people in the world are still arguing <laughs> about this in particular? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course they are. I think there certainly have been shifts. I think people maybe early on, if they were unhappy with their church's decision, you know, they probably moved on to, to somewhere different that, you know, met what they thought was right. I will be I'm curious to know if that, you know, if that means a migration back once everything looks a little more universal. Um, it's hard that that part's hard to say, but yeah, I think that, I think that people, part of what I think is interesting about your question is I, I think as long as what we're dealing with isn't just building policies, but how we actually behave in a pandemic, mm. I think that, I think that's always, always going to fire people up. And I would say probably rightfully so. I think people, it's been interesting because I've gotten some emails from people in our church and they usually are like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of fired up about this topic. I'm like, nope, that, this is a com- completely reasonable topic to be fired up about. You don't have to apologize for yeah. your passion, you know, but uh, especially yeah, with churches and we've had no shortage of stories that we've covered over the last year um, about the different ways that churches are handling this. So, yep. yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'm not surprised. Yeah. And so this, again, article written by Daniel Chin, and I would encourage you to go check it out at ChristianityToday.com, uh, or you can find that on our Facebook page, because he's going to give a lot of backgrounds to how vaccinations are working, the variants of COVID. So like some really heady stuff here. But I want to jump down to make sure we give it its time where he gives his five suggestions, uh, his five suggestions 
uh, for a gathering plan during partial vaccination period. So we're in this weird time where you're going to increasingly have some people in your church have been vaccinated. Others have not. Some people will never get vaccinated. Others will. Uh, and so kind of this gray area. And so he gives five suggestions for a gathering plan during the partial vaccination period. I think people will find this interesting. Uh, why don't you start us off with number one here? Why don't I start off with them? I, you just I know we say it all the time, but you you love these lists so much, do. don't you? I do. And I didn't know that about myself till we started a show. But now I'm like, <laughs> yes, I could do a whole show of lists. <laughs> you could you could just rename the show the list show. Yes, it would probably hurt listenership. Maybe it wouldn't. Who knows? Um, all right. So here's number one. Use the level of COVID-19 infections as the primary guide for congregational gatherings. What does that mean? If in-person gatherings resumes during this period, vaccinated and unvaccinated attendees will mix with each other because herd immunity has not been achieved. COVID-19 infection rates in our communities will remain high. Given that our church activities facilitate virus spread, there is still a high risk of transmission between the unvaccinated and even between unvaccinated and vaccinated congregants. If scientists determine that vaccinated individuals can still harbor the virus and spread it, then even after a high proportion of people are vaccinated, the risk of spread may remain high as long as the level of COVID-19 infections in the community remains high. Only when the infection rate declines to a lower level will the risk of transmission between congregants also decline and then in-person gatherings can safely resume. That's a mouthful, but a pretty well-stated suggestion. Yeah, yeah. And I should give background for who this author is. Sure. Uh, uh, Daniel Chin is a physician trained in pulmonary and critical care medicine and epidemiology with 25 years of global public health experience. In 2003, he led much of the World Health Organization's support to China to contain the SARS epidemic. So this isn't just like, you know, some guy going, ah, here's what I think. <laughs> like yeah, he's right, got right. he's got some chops here. So number two, consider this one's going to get people going. <laughs> I should have left this one for you to read. Consider allowing vaccinated congregants to gather separately. Huh. Although churches may choose to gather only when both vaccinated and unvaccinated congregants can mix safely together, there is an option to gather earlier with just vaccinated congregants. Because vaccinated congregants are protected from serious COVID-19 complications, it is much safer for them to gather indoors even when the infection rate in the community is high. Many of our elderly and more vulnerable church members who will be vaccinated earlier may welcome an earlier opportunity to gather. Uh, however, many church leaders, church leaders may have reservations about separating their congregants into groups. Uh, but the church yes. leaders I talked with generally believe it is possible to set up gatherings just for those who have been vaccinated. So that one, I'm sure uh, that one would cause some issues, I suspect. Why? Why do you think that? Hey, I haven't been able to get vaccinated, but I want to go back to church. <laughs> Let me in. Yeah. Uh, I, I think anytime we separate to you can, but you can't, it tends to cause problems, I think, in most churches. Well, and then what? You have to provide A verification. Card. Like, right. yeah. Do you do you have people then that are doctoring fake, you yep. know? Prom- and what I mean, about people right? who've had COVID who say, hey, I've got the antibody. Like, you're uh-huh. kind of. Yep. Yep. Oof. Yeah. But his right. point is not. Yeah. His point is. But yeah, he makes a good point there. Yeah, let me just let me just read the uh, the last three real quick. Number three, take a stepwise approach to resume specific forms of in-person gathering. Mm-hmm. I'm be curious to know what that one is. Let me scroll past all these graphics. Number four, encourage congregants to reduce their risk of exposure to COVID-19. That one feels like a little bit of a no-brainer, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, reduce your risk of exposure. Yeah, okay. 
And then number five, encourage your congregants to get vaccinated. That's again, very potentially. I did post something. This was maybe two months ago. It was a, it was a, a positive post or something about vaccination. And I got a couple of, I mean, they were kind, they were kind emails, but friends of mine, you know, um, one of whom had been friends for a long time, sort of like, Hey, I'm uncomfortable with your post as a, as a pastor, you know, encouraging people uh, toward vaccination. And they, you know, they shared why. And I was, I was certainly grateful for their perspective. I think that's worth remembering though, that this fifth one, encourage your congregants to get vaccinated. That one, depending on where you're at, that one might be the most controversial to be honest. Right. That's right. I would encourage you, if you didn't see it, go look at uh, Tim Keller's. Uh, I think he put it on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Tim Keller uh, posted his, that he got vaccinated and took a picture of like the vaccination, like, you know, form that said he had been vaccinated or whatever. Uh, those comments were not all positive. <laughs> yep, I <believe> it. <laughs> and uh, I would encourage you. Yeah, I think number four is important. Uh, encourage congregants to reduce their risk. It's kind of like when we want to go see grandma and grandpa, right? And you go, okay, but we're going to, the trade-off's going to be, we're going to reduce the risky stuff we're doing in other spots uh, that a lot of people are like, nope, I'm not going to do that either. But I think uh, it kind of comes back to how badly do we want to be together? And I mm-hmm. think that's an important one. So again, written by a really smart guy who's got a lot of skin in the game. I would encourage you to give it a read and we'd love to know where you agree, where you disagree. Uh, you could do that up at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, from the Gospel Coalition, the false gospel of assuming the worst of others. We're going to talk about that article next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for being with us today. Hopefully you're having a great Friday. Uh, looking forward to a good weekend. Here in a second, we're going to dive into an article from yesterday at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, interesting premise, the false gospel of assuming the worst of others, written by Thaddeus Williams. But before we do that, one of our favorite times of the day, Ian Simpkins telling us about the holidays. It, it feels more patronizing every time. And Ironically, though, you've learned I'm not patronizing you on that. I did go back and listen to yesterday's. Have I and, learned uh, that? Have I learned that, I Brian? I think you trust me on that. I, I went back and listened to yesterday's and uh, and I didn't realize the how deep the disappointment in your voice was when I told you I didn't like chocolate chip pancakes. Oh, it's still there. It's not. I haven't recovered. It was deep. It was deep. Yeah. So you went back and listened to a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's growth, man. It's growth. <laughs> wow. Just just uh, a shade over two years in. Let's go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So there there is a state. Do you want to guess which state? be so funny if you got this one of these times uh today is uh we are celebrating iowa iowa nope i nope i don't know how to say yeah there's no sorry i can't i can't be like close you can't (laughs) same country (laughs) yeah right that's true uh it's kansas day so uh it's close that is close tip of the hat to kansas it's national puzzle day which i feel in my house my both my boys, but my eldest in particular, this he I'm sure every parent thinks this. I think he like honestly might be like a puzzle prodigy. That's awesome. None of my children. I think that about none of my children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send them this clip Li- literally like from a very weirdly early age, like a whole pile would be on the floor and then we'd be like having coffee and talk whatever. And then we'd look over and we're like, did you did you assemble this? Who assembled this? Like this is and little Owen just on the floor like ah! Like he, he, it's crazy. That's I'm 
Sorry, I'm uh, I'm gushing a little bit about my son. I, That's it's great. So fun. It's also uh, National Corn Chip Day. I don't like corn chips. I'm okay with that. It's I'll be certainly not in the category of chocolate chip pancakes. Corn. Ch- I could take them or leave them. Uh, it's also National Big Wig Day. Like like I'm a big wig. Like I'm a big deal. Or literally big wigs. Like I'm wearing a big wig. What do you think that yeah, is? Yeah, I can't. I can't. T- like this could be like a like a Shit's Creek situation where they're referencing. Am I allowed to say that on this show? I was going to say, what creek? <laughs> you know, it's a show. You know, it's a show at least, right? Okay. My wife loves that show. You know, and, and uh, she's she's got all of those wigs and whatnot. I think probably you're right, though. I think it's big wig, like somebody who's got the corner office. Or so that, it was a big I, deal. I think that's I think right. So. Which I would say every day is their day. So they don't <laughs> yeah, get a holiday. Yeah, do they need a specific day? <laughs> right. Yeah. Happy top of the world always day to you. Like that's, <laughs> what a weird, What a weird thing. Uh, get a card for the billionaire in your life and welcome them. <laughs> wish them a happy big wig day. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, that's funny. All right. Is that all of them? Yeah, that's it. All right. It's a good day. Uh, yeah. Corn chips. Now I'm not going to celebrate with those, but okay. Uh, false gospel of assuming the worst of others. I will get us into this says okay. neo-Marxist, racist, fascist, snowflake. Simply combine the word social with the word justice, and these are the kinds of verbal grenades you're likely to see hurled in both directions across the digital battlefields of our age. Lest we think that we as Christians stand above the fray, we too paint our faces red or blue and change into comment th- a charge into comment threads armed with the same snap judgments and damning assumptions about others' motives that mark the culture wars of our day. One reason conversations about hard uh, hard topics like social justice tend to generate more heat than light, both within and beyond the uh, the church, is a phenomenon we may call the Newman effect. I, I hear that. I just think Seinfeld right there, but it's I'm not sure. Seinfeld. It uh, talks in 2018, Channel 4 host in Canada, uh, Kathy Newman, was interviewing Jordan Peterson, the, the well-known psychology professor, in one of the most viral interviews of the 21st century. The lively exchange sparked the famous so you're saying meme based on Newman's repeated use of that phrase to interpret Peterson's statements in the most unflattering and inflammatory uh, light. She would say things like, so you're saying women aren't intelligent enough to run these top companies or uh, you're saying we should organize our society along the lines of the lobsters and other things. Uh, Peterson wasn't saying any of that, but his perspective didn't fit neatly. Uh, into Newman's box. And so it says, the truth is we're all Kathy Newman's now, and that has become a serious existential threat to the unity of the church. We tar and feather any dissonant idea with the absolute worst ideologies we can imagine. He gives a list of examples, but let me give you one example we'd all know. Uh, when we say Black Lives Matter, so you go, so you're denying that all lives matter. I think we've all heard that one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or another one, we need to keep the gospel first. So you're saying we should just shrug our shoulders at injustice. That could be another one. Yeah. What do you think about this, Ian? This, this, uh, he calls it the Newman problem. This is, I, I think, a good way to frame it. I think it's a, a helpful way to frame it, and particularly given the source. Like, I'm always trying to keep that in mind, too, because, mm-hmm. and we'll often do this when there's a segment that we think is saying something, an article saying something pretty pointed about faith or Christianity, and it's not from a quote unquote Christian source. There's a reason you and I feel inclined to mention that four or five times in the segment. Like there's a uniqueness to this perspective because it's coming from the Atlantic or USA Today. This isn't written from some pastor. And again, knowing that he's... This, I mean, it's funny because I actually know Thaddeus Williams, who is the the author is of this. Right? It's not him, but 
he's probably gotten a lot of pushback, but I think it's I think it's well framed, and I appreciate. It feels like he's at least so far uh, looking in kind of quote unquote both directions. Like it's not just slamming people on this side or that side, this perspective, that perspective. I think he's he's trying to do a, a good job of finding some kind of common ground, and I I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, let me run through these. He says, here are four reasons why in 2021 we should resolve together as Christians to cease resorting to the Newman effect. Hmm. I even said it like Seinfeld, Newman effect. Did, that's true. Uh, as we engage important questions. Let me just read through these four and maybe we can pick one we want to jump into. It says, uh, number one, the Newman effect erases the creator creature distinction, claiming an omniscient gaze into others' hearts that only God knows. Number two. The Newman effect violates clear biblical commands. Uh, number three, the Newman effect undermines visible unity in the church. And number four, the Newman effect becomes a false means of justification. Why don't you pick one of those? Any of those jump out at you? Oh, I mean, they all they all kind of do. The, I I think the one that probably is the most loaded as a as a header is the second one. The Newman effect violates clear biblical commands like mm-hmm. Somebody might be hearing that thing thinking, how? So I, I, let me read a little bit more. How much time do we even have still? Yeah, we're almost out of time. Yeah, like two minutes. Okay. We're good. We're good. Over and over again, the Bible bans slander and bearing false witness. Then you have the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. We've all been called names. We've all had our words twisted into the most damning interpretations possible. Uh, we've all been branded with labels that distort who we really are. No one enjoys such treatment. I do appreciate that. Like I think that there's... Again, I I would love I would love to just sit and have coffee with someone who justifies m- maybe implementing some of these things, who still agrees with love your neighbor as yourself, but like now nah, the most loving thing to do is for mm-hmm. me to say this thing to them. I you know just some of the gymnastics that we can go through like justify like really horrific behavior towards one another. Um, I do I do find those conversations really fascinating, but I think that's I think that's an important one to remember. Yeah, and Thaddeus Williams, who wrote this, he's an associate professor of systematic, I can't read today, of (laughs) systematic theology at Biola University. He says, don't get me wrong. There are some bad ideas making their way into the church. There is real racism, real Marxism, and other deeply anti-gospelisms we must stand against. Exposing false ideologies that take people captive is a mark of biblical love. The Bible doesn't suggest it commands us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. But saints, but he says when we practice the Newman effect, though, we're not contending for historic faith. We're just conforming to the splintered and self-righteous spirit of the age. So that's what uh, that's how he differentiates them. Would love to know what you think. Uh, this from the Gospel Coalition: the false gospel of assuming the worst of others. We'll have it up at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show. We're going to end the week uh, with a, uh, an article that I found pretty poignant from a friend of the show, Jim Dennison. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday. As we close the show out, one of the ways, Ian, that we've been trying to do this, especially over the last couple of months where things have just been pretty divisive and and we could fill every show with just kind of anger and uh, partisanship and everything. But we've been trying to end the show uh, with uh, either some good news or some inspiration or something to just kind of get us thinking uh, as we go into our evenings. And so just today. Uh, Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum. We've had Jim on more than a few times. I think three times I think we've had Jim on. Just an awesome guest and a great guy. 
Uh, and at the Denison Forum, uh, where he writes, is it daily, weekly? He writes regularly there, at least. I think it's daily. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Jim wrote this, and I just saw this today. He wrote, the death of my spiritual father. Is this the greatest evangel- even? Gosh, I can't read today. Is this the greatest evangelistic hour in history? And so he goes on to tell the story of a man by the name of Dr. Cecil Sewell. Uh, and Dr. Cecil Stuhl just passed away. But to make a long story short, this is the man uh, who, uh, in August of 1973, uh, two men from his church knocked on Jim Dennison's family apartment door. And uh, Jim's father told them that uh, Jim and his brother would be on their bus the next day. Have you ever heard of this? I know that this used to happen a lot more in the past. Mm-hmm. But were you yeah. ever involved in a church or knew of churches that literally drove a bus around town and just picked up kids or even adults who wanted to go to church? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my dad has uh, has driven that bus. Is that for real? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I know my brother-in-law, whose dad was a pastor, uh, he said they, they had, I think they had multiple buses. They would just drive around town and pick people up. And uh, it's just a, one of those many times you're like, wow, different days these days, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding. Uh, and so he said that Sunday through Dr. Sewell's sermon, Jim Dennison says, I heard the gospel for the first time. His wife, Sharon, was my Sunday school teacher. Uh, the, the joyful faith she and her husband shared powerfully comp- was compelling for me. A few weeks later, I, ca- I gave my life to Jesus. I was baptized. They performed my wedding, conducted my father's funeral. So anyway, he's talking about this man who was just and his wife who were just spiritual kind of stalwarts in their life. Uh, and, and Jim Dennison is now going to use that story uh, and ask this question. Is this the greatest evangelistic hour in our history. Uh, He goes on to tell the story of Francis Chan and no longer Francis Chan. Did you know Francis Chan's not allowed back in Hong Kong these days right now? I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, But he says God is still on the throne. Uh, And so let me just pause there, Ian. Let me just take you back all the way to Jim Dennison's question that he asks. Is this the greatest evangelistic hour in history? Uh, That's a grand sweeping statement, but maybe I'll ask it this way. Do you see the time of COVID and divisive, everything that we're in, that this is a great evangelistic hour, whether it's the greatest in history? Is this a great evangelistic hour that we're in right now? Man, this might be an unpopular response. (laughs) I told them Um, we'll inspire them on their way out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I want to I want to honor that, too. Uh, Whether or not that's true doesn't really change the fact that I'm not. Totally sure I'm personally even comfortable framing it that way. I think anytime okay. that you see something and and I, I like a lot of what he's saying in this article, to be honest. I think when you're talking about the the tragedy and the horrific numbers and stories that we're seeing and hearing on a regular basis, to even be adjacent to that and say, greatest evangel uh, even evangelistic opportunity that we've ever seen. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't even know that I I got what you're saying. Does that make yep. sense? You know, like that feels it, it still might very well be true. And I think, you know, especially given our conversation with with Dave and John and their vision for like blessing your communities and your neighborhoods and your neighbor. I think they're right on. I think that there's man, what a what a chance we have to like show the love of Jesus to people. Like I read a stat yesterday in a in a writing meeting that um 80% of young adults age 18 to 35 have experienced like severe depressive symptoms in the last year due to loneliness. I'm like, 80%. That's enormous. Like, yes, so much of this last year, 
I think has made people really receptive to conversations about spiritual matters for sure. Yep. I just yep. always want to be careful. I want to be mindful because I think Christians can do this a lot where like massive tragedy strikes. We're like, ha, that's our chance. You're like, no, 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 no. that <laughs> is you. not. I got you. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to win them. And like God, sometimes some people even go as far as they like, God really tilled the soil with this tragedy. So they'll, they'll receive mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh boy. You know what I mean? Like, I do. That can lead to some pretty dangerous places. Before I forget, real quickly, you mentioned Francis Chan, too. I just read this quote from him just earlier today that I think actually fits into this article. He says, uh, it is true that God may have called you to be exactly where you are, but it is absolutely vital to grasp that he didn't call you there so you can settle in and live your life in comfort and superficial peace. I'm like, oh, hmm. it's like so Francis Chan. So like that Classic conjunction, Chan. <laughs> it is totally it. But that's kind of my point, though. Like what I'm what I'm not saying is what I don't want to hear. I don't want people to hear is like, no, I disagree with Denison. And right. You should just live your life as you've always lived it. That's also not the answer either. I think we need to pray for God. Open my eyes to like where you're at work in the midst of heartache and pain and struggle. But I, yeah, I guess I always really struggle a little bit with like the mm-hmm. what an opportunity, you know, like that's just opportunity is close to opportunistic. And that that always uh Gives me pause, at least for a little bit. I think that's a, that's a legit pause. I think that's good. Uh, Dennison goes on to write this. He's just been talking about Dr. Cecil Sewell, uh, who kind of, you know, reached out to him and his brother led Dr. Dennison to, to Christ. And it says this, who's your spiritual father or mother? Who helped you follow Jesus? Like me, you owe them an eternal debt of gratitude. But if they are like Dr. Sewell, they would tell you that the best way to repay them is to pay our debt forward by sharing Jesus with every, everyone we can. Uh, and take that statement. This is where I want to inspire people and to kind of send them off. Take that statement of kind of like paying it forward, kind of how some others reached into you, you reach out to them. Tie that in with Dave and John Ferguson and the Bless Book and kind of that other kind of framing of how to do this and how to love our neighbor, maybe send people out with uh, some encouragement from those two. Yeah. I think some of the encouragement and Dave and John have also just done such a good job of keeping this out in front too. like trade your life for something bigger than you. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, that can feel so inspiring in a movie or a book. And yet sometimes for whatever reason, we just really, we can get really caught up in like the minutia of our own lives and minutia matters too, obviously, you know, but I, I just think this idea and like hearing Denison's perspective of this, you know, this Titan that like had such an impact on him. You know, we tend to sometimes think I, I certainly think, well, like, well, I'll never lead a revival or speak at Madison Square Gardens or, you know, write 10 books. So like, why bother? It's like, man, you and I probably, you know, this even just as youth pastors, you know, where students grow up and have their own families. And every once in a while they send you a note and like, hey, I remember one time you said this and that like really has shaped the way that I love my wife or the way that I care for my kids. And you're like, wow, you know, mm-hmm, the opportunity mm-hmm. of just like, that's bigger than me. Like that's the Holy spirit doing a work. And I want to, in the big things and the small things, I want to trade my life for something that will way outlast the 90 years I'm here on planet earth. And I think to keep that mindset out front is difficult. It's challenging, but I, I just think it's, it's so worth it. And I think to celebrate those who played that role in your life. Of and course. To, yes. To yes. Not, Sometimes I can always just look forward and never be like, oh, man, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to those. Yes. And then that inspires you. And so I wanted to kind of put that out in front of us. And it ties nicely into the interview we're able to do with Dave and John Ferguson today. Well, we made it to the weekend, friends. I hope that you had a great week and are looking forward to a good weekend. Join us again on Monday from 4 until 6. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, I am Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.